Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Carousel Podcast. It's been a few weeks. I've been traveling for Urban Assembly and other things, so happy to be back and very excited to introduce my guest for today, Richard Cromwell, who is a writer for The Federalist, a strategist, copywriter in marketing, and a food podcaster. He has a podcast called Coffee and Koshan. Uh, what's your Twitter handle? It's uh, R. Cromwell 4. R. The, Cromwell uh, the number four. And I'll just go ahead and, and uh, so I'm the fourth. Uh, my actual first name is Joseph. And uh, so by the time they got to me, they had to go to the middle name. So Joseph Richard. And there are a surprising number of Rich Cromwells in the world. So when I started Twitter, I uh, I couldn't get the straight one. So I had to go add the four at the end. So you put four on there. Wow. So a long line. Uh, yes. Very interesting. And so, yeah, you and I have a ton of alignment because we are both um, politically aligned and we are in the world of propaganda making. Yes. Um, and also, I love food. So, like, so much of what I want to do and, and like, I think food can be propaganda in, in its own right. And so I love your food podcast. I just listened to the episode about Bourdain. Um, and so I, I just feel like we have so much overlap. Um so let's just like get right into it. Uh, what is your beat for the Federalist? And then what is your kind of like marketing experience? So for the Federalist, uh, it's actually coming up on the uh, today, tomorrow, somewhere around there. We're on the anniversary of the first article I ever published in 2013. And it started off uh, a lot more political. Uh, my first article was about traffic cops and how it's just a ploy to make money rather than uh, being about public safety. Yeah. And uh, I've covered, you know, child tax credits, uh, some economic stuff, but over time it's evolved to be more uh, focused on the culture side and uh, uh, more on uh, some humor stuff. So uh, it's, uh, it's just kind of a, I don't have a real specific, like, Oh, hey, you know, we're we're discussing this new tax policy. We're gonna go to Rich for that. It's uh right, right, right. More like, hey, can you review this uh, you know, the the you know, final Norm McDonald special or whatever. Yeah, and I think you have such good, you have really incisive insight into culture and and sort of like analogies around um certain things. Like in the Bourdain episode of your most recent podcast, I thought that you just had really cool commentary on um the how uh, you had a great um kind of passage analyzing the final text messages between Bourdain and um uh Argento. 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 Yeah. And you know you you said oh you know I knew her I got into it her I knew about her father because I studied film and then you said that he has this thing where female characters torture each other kind of yeah. right right yeah and that was then, his yeah. Thing. yeah yeah and so uh yeah it it certainly seems like uh you, you know as I said on the the other part my podcast you know don't want to you know get us into uh any you know liability uh or libel yeah. here but uh it certainly seems like she acted out, uh, you know, some of her father's characters in her relationship, not just with Bourdain, but she has just an interesting approach to relationships. And she just, she didn't have a good upbringing, you know, not to blame yeah. everything on, on nurture, but right, her yeah. father would read these scripts for his horror slasher movies to her as bedtime stories when she was a little kid. 
And she said yeah. that it, the, the reason she got into acting was that was the only way to get his attention. He was more a director. He was the director, not a father. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I well, and I, I just think that that somebody coming from the right, as I think we can say we both are now, yeah. uh, having that type of cultural insight is so rare. You know, I mean, it's because we're so used to the right wing being um, grillers, right? It's the grill yeah. grill class. So, you know, you having knowledge about early Argento films and being able to put that through the lens of what's happening with them, too. I think it was just so refreshing because I've had those same thoughts about what happened with Bourdain in the end of his life. And um, you can't really make those critiques in the mainstream because it's too, you know, he was basically destroyed by a woman, right? Right. I mean, he destroyed himself for yeah. sure. He let it happen, you know, and, and I think he was like acting out his own play, which you kind of say, you know, but still being able to see with that level of cultural analysis from our perspective, this is exactly why we're doing what we're doing, because that's the type of lens we need to see this stuff through. And it's just great that you're doing it. So, yeah, it's I think there's been a tendency uh, to just retreat from culture on the yeah, right. Yes, it was yes. something we gave up on a lot and you've got to engage with it. You know, you can't really create your own alternate culture. You know, we, we've got to become the new counterculture, but in, in order to be the new counterculture, we have to be able to know what we're talking about. We have to hit it head on instead of trying to create some parallel world, which you know, I would love it. I, I've watched some right wing, uh, you know, explicitly right wing movies and things like that. And it, we have a tendency to, to try to bash each other on the head. There was a movie I watched a, a year or so ago, and I forget who made it, but it was, you know, about this father and son reconciling. The son was like, I think, an advertising uh, a superstar who had a severe alcohol problem. And it gets to the end and he finds his religion and he you know repairs yeah, his yeah. relationship with his father but it was just it was like being hit with a hammer yeah, yeah. Just like... <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah no a lot of these christian movies like i saw american underdog because i'm a huge ram stand with kurt warner story yeah i saw that in the theaters and and it's like you know i appreciate the values and i obviously love seeing kurt warner's story but it's yeah it's just too uh right it's not cool have you seen Craig Zoller's films at all? Like, have you seen Dragged Across Concrete or um, Bone Tomahawk? No, I have to check those out. I'm still amazed that everybody has not watched these movies. He is like a based film director. He comes from the kind of like horror side and his movies are super like contemporary right wing, like reactionary. And they're so good. Mel Gibson, Vince Vaughn. In Dragged Across Concrete, they play cops. It is so good. And I, I can't believe everybody hasn't seen it. I tell everyone and no one. It's like he's under wraps for some reason. Yeah. I have to check those out, especially, I mean, Mel Gibson and Vince Vaughn. I know. It's it's insane. But no, I think you're totally right in general that we, we need to wade more into culture than we are. So you said something that I actually want to ask you about. You said that we need to be the counterculture. Do you think that the right formerly was the mainstream culture and then we haven't been or like what do you think so i do uh and it's been a long time since the right was truly in charge you know starting in the 60s we really just abandoned everything it's like oh we don't need the universities we don't need entertainment not that entertainment was a bastion of conservatism before then 
And as we ceded ground, the left began taking more ground and, and they're in power. Now, you know, when you see like rage against the machine, you know, like basically advocating for the state, you know, they're in charge now and, and they refuse to admit it. But you look at government, you know, the FBI and all these places that you would assume would be full of right wing nut jobs and they're not, you know, the they are the power they're the regime as people say and the right has kind of been knocked out i mean the chamber of commerce not that the chamber is the coolest thing in the world but like that used to be ours and now the chamber is worried about you know equity and right. climate change yeah. and whatnot and it's it's just we 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 gave up so much ground i think that and, and so much institutional power we're we're on the outside right now but you know our ideas make a lot more sense for civilizational progress. You know, as much as the progressives love to talk about progress, a lot of their ideas are regressive. So I think it's time for the right to like step up and, and embrace that and, and realize that we're not in charge. So what do you say to the sort of um, mold bug perspective? I don't know if you've read Curtis Yarvin at all or, you know, gotten into that whole thing. But his perspective and, and that I think the neo reactionary perspective is that actually, you know, what do they say? Um, what we refer to as conservatism today is actually classical liberalism. Yeah. And that what when we say a conservative today, actually, that's it's always been a reaction and that American sort of America has always been this sort of marching progressive parade going further and further left and and you know killing more and more drag dragons on the right um and really that's been the dominant force in american society for centuries and what we refer to as right wing is actually a reaction to that i would i th there's a lot of truth to that because uh i i I think was it uh Oren uh McIntyre on Twitter? Yeah, like, he's great. Side who just really wants cool. to be left alone is always going to lose to the side who wants to do something. You know, you can't just be left alone. And uh Michael Malice has a good line about uh conservatism, uh especially today. Is it's just conservatism is uh I think I forget exactly how he phrased that. That conservatism is just liberalism driving the speed limits. <laughs> Yeah, conservative. Yeah, right. That's the classical liberal liberal argument yeah. saying that basically like all these ideas that we have of conservative are actually not really conservative ideas traditionally. It's just, no. uh, you know, um, so uh, what has your experiences been in the world of marketing? Because I, I, I don't know if you want to dox where you live. But like you have a, there's a certain very large company in yeah. your milieu. So I just want to know like what you've seen uh, as, a, as somebody who's making marketing materials and how, you know, what's your story there? So I'll, I'll dox myself. It's not something I've, I've done a real good job of keeping secrets. So I live in Northwest Arkansas, which uh, is the home of Walmart. And Walmart was a very reactionary company when it started, you know, they did everything differently. And as they've gotten big, there's been a pull within leadership and, you know, maybe the family to, they want to be liked. Whereas Sam Walton, the founder and the early guys, they really reveled in being, you know, perceived as these hicks in Arkansas who were building this huge company. 
and they just did their own thing. They, they liked being the outsiders. And as more people have been recruited in from the coast and traditional businesses, uh, pull, you know, pulling in people from Target or wherever, there's been this more of a desire to, to be seen as mainstream. So rather than being outside. And so it's interesting to watch this company that, that was founded on the idea of being a maverick to instead want to be, want to be liked and just the pull towards every, it, it's like Twitter is uh ruling some of their decisions, you know, and, and it's always so ham fisted. They got dragged a lot during a uh, black history month because what they released like a Juneteenth ice cream or and something else. And it's also huge, you know, and you have different departments. One person just manages to make this decision without running it by this other, you know, the comms team. And then the comms team is like, what have you done to us? And it's, it's very much uh, not what people would expect. I think people think of Walmart as this like super like conservative Christian place. And it's, you know, having been on the inside, I worked for a firm that, that serviced market uh, Walmart and there was a lot you would sit in these meetings and, and there's just like this assumption, you know, people will just start going off bashing Trump or whatever. And there's just this assumption that everyone in the room agrees with all these positions. I mean, even on huge conference calls, you'll have people just like making these broad statements about, you know, the other side and, you know, how they're, you know, how ignorant they are. And it's like, uh, y'all are talking about your customers and also a whole lot of your store employees right now. It's just so insane because I think the common person imagines that that agree and amplify cycle of liberalism is happening in like cool Silicon Valley companies. But the fact that that's going on in Walmart, it's just yes. so crazy because you would think well, it's Walmart. It's like, you know, like how are you going to just make that assumption? Well, we're talking about just to clarify for the listeners, because I think that many people haven't experienced this before. When you're when you work in mainstream marketing, marketing, particularly in today's world, is a very gynocratic uh, field because it's pretty much women. I think there's more women in marketing than men, actually, by by a lot. And it's also a field where everybody's extremely liberal. And so because it's I don't really know why that is. I guess it's because it's kind of like a do nothing field. You know what I mean? It's like anybody yeah. can do it. It's a soft skill, right? It's soft. You don't actually have to be actually good at anything, you know, to do right. it. So there's a lot of very useless people in it. And uh, they do this thing. And I've experienced this in L.A., but it's crazy to me that this is happening in Arkansas for Walmart. They do this thing where you get in the room and they say, uh, it's like a lure or like a like a test. They say something liberal, and then they kind of wait for you to say something back. Right. You know. It, oh yes, yes. You're you're right. And not only are you right, you're underselling it. You know. The agree and amplify. You know. You gotta like. And it hasn't gotten to the point in in Arkansas at Walmart where you uh, you're gonna get cast out if you don't agree and amplify you can still just kind of, you know, go stone faced and just sit quiet, quietly. 
And if enough people in the room sit quietly, then, you know, the, the, whoever's leading the meeting or whatever will kind of realize and, and move on, but then it will happen again because they just, it's the whole, uh, you know, the idea of bubbles and people get caught in their, their bubbles and they forget that there are people who are different than they are, who think differently than they are, who have different values than they do. And it, it's always shocking to them to be reminded that uh, we're out there. Yeah. And it's what's also just so funny that it's happening so intensely in marketing because the premise of marketing is supposed to be appealing to your customer. Yet at the same time, it's the job of propaganda. So I, I think you have a lot of people. I've never met so many hardcore socialists than in advertising because it's a lot of rich kids, one, and then two who are naturally drawn to socialism and like bourgeois, whatever. Um, but beyond that, it's also like, I think everybody gets into this industry because we like expression. We like the power of messaging. We know those things. So even if you are a leftist, that starts to kind of crawl into your marketing, your ideas. And, um, but it's a perfect irony because your job is to be speaking in a way that's actually not divisive. And it's, I think that comes back to the whole like agree and amplify. And you had a great, I think it might've been your actual first Substack piece uh, the one where you're talking about how like the, the Nike uh, swoosh wasn't made, you know, in this focus group or whatever, it was just kind of like, Oh crap, we need a logo and this is the best one. And there was this power in people just kind of coming up with their own ideas and going out and doing things. And now there's this weird fear of failure. Like my theory on the way that modern businesses operate where everything's done by committee is that when things go wrong, there's no one to blame. It's yeah, like, it's whose CYA. fault is this? It's uh, like, well, yeah, yeah. me and 75 other people, you know, we did this. Yeah. yeah. But the joke I heard from an, a, a, a marketer who I think was good at one time and kind of got caught in the decade when he was most successful was, you know, zebra is a horse designed by committee. <laughs> and also there's this tendency to chase success. Like I've had a joke uh, rolling around in my head recently where it's like, I don't think there really are content creators in the world. They're like three virtual assistants in the Philippines creating content that then gets <laughs> copied across the world. You know, looking at Instagram, especially you'll see where, all these people, especially now that Instagram is serving up so much stuff besides what you intentionally want to see, it's serving up all these suggestions and you see all these same jokes over and over again where yeah, all these different people, these, you know, want to be influencers or just copying one another verbatim. Yeah, yeah. And it's almost seen as like fun at this point rather than like unoriginal, which is interesting to me. Yeah, well, have you done TikTok at all? So, you know, it's a weird line that I've drawn on TikTok. Yeah. But even though I'm being data mined mercilessly by everything <laughs> I use, I've like that's been my like breaking point. It's like yeah. ah, I'm not ready to yeah, yeah, to give in to TikTok to give it to the Chinese government, which is <laughs> which is totally what that is. No, you're. I mean, you're completely right. That's good to do. But but that sort of mimetic copying is that comes from TikTok. So TikTok, yeah. and that's what Instagram is just copying them. 
And I mean, I kind of love it, to be honest, because it's it's better to me to see that than see these horrible phony Instagram pictures of like girls butts. You know, I would rather people be like doing funny takes on the same joke over and over again. Yeah. It's almost like a little more wholesome. And and also the thing that I always say about TikTok is Saturday Night Live is dead. Right. So right. what happened to great sketch comedy? It's all on TikTok. Like I, there is the funniest people in the world on there and they are so funny. Um, yeah, so, I rely on people on Instagram to then yeah, post to then repost. Uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, okay, so then how have you managed to survive this long in marketing as a dissident thinker? Or did, did, what was your? Did you start out more left, or have you always been kind of right? I've always been kind of right. Uh, my dad was a union man who voted Reagan, you know, and he was arguing with his union members. It's like, you're voting for people who are going to take more of our money, you know, and the union, it was mandatory for him to be a member of working. He worked at a railroad and uh, he's like, you know, our leadership is taking our money and using it for causes that run against our best interest. And so I never really rebelled uh, against my parents and became a full on like leftist i probably was a little more left in college but i was drawn more to the libertarian party and then i had my uh ayn rand phase and uh then kind of drifted back more toward uh, after having kids especially uh drifted back away from uh the extremes particularly of libertarianism like to me libertarianism is like communism like it it's a great idea in theory the problem is once you add people into the mix, it doesn't work quite as well anymore. And there just have to be guardrails. I, I've become a bigger fan of, uh, I don't want to say big government. Like I would prefer government to be as small as possible, but it in this moment, it doesn't seem that that is possible because there's so much institutional power in these big companies who want to thwart the will of the people. You know, it's like, oh, well, you don't believe in, uh, you know, the the Paris Accord for climate change, so we're just going to force this through, or we're going to do ESG investing, or whatever it is. So, you know, I just politically to kind of, I guess, sum it up, I've kind of drifted back into, I'm a big fan of Ron DeSantis right now, just like, you know what, I was going to leave you alone, but you wanted to start this fight, I'm going to have this fight. I'm not just going to say, oh, well, you know, I'm conservative. I'm a Republican. I like business. It's like, no, you know, I like business, but there are rules here. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I dig it. Yeah. That's like coming at this from the libertarian perspective. I I'm a DeSantis guy too. A lot of um, Trump people and a lot of people in the kind of um, dissident right sphere on Twitter are very suspicious of DeSantis. They're worried that he makes a little bit too much sense and that he's going to get in there and and turn out to just be a dud and he's going to play by the rules too much and and everything like that. So if it's Trump and DeSantis, do you are you more of a DeSantis guy or more of a Trump guy? So at this point I'm more of a DeSantis guy. Uh I think Trump did a tremendous job uh for the most part. I do think the criticisms about him getting kind of rolled by Fauci and Burks and to an extent the deep state that he said he was going to fight right uh 
but then from a tactical perspective, I, I'm afraid that he's alienated so many of the professionals needed to run an administration that it would be tough for him to staff, uh, if he were elected again in 2024. Now, if the choice is between him, Trump and anyone else, yeah, definitely going on. 100%. But if we're talking a primary yeah, yeah. here, yeah. and also just from an age thing, I'm a Gen X guy and uh, DeSantis is not, he's younger, but uh, I- I'm tired of old people. Yeah. Running yeah government. I, I think that that's, I, I definitely dig that. I, I, actually kind of agree with you i mean it's like i you know i voted for trump in 2016 and was such a big commitment to do that i as i always say i lost like all my friends and family or much of it and became like a total pariah whereas before i was an obama guy you know i was like i remember the night obama was elected i was young i was like 20 something living in manhattan with my like ultra diverse group of friends you know and they were all crying and i was like really happy that obama had defeated uh you know who did he defeat in the in the first one i don't even was it mccain uh, mccain was that the first one or the second one I can't even remember it was P- palin was the second time around no it was very cuz it was mccain palin yeah. And then it was Romney Ryan. Then it was Romney Ryan. Okay. So yeah. And, and you know, I was so, God, I was so dumb. I, and I was like, I, we were all dumb though. Like we didn't, we didn't, we still believed that the president was like a really powerful position. We were still living in this old paradigm, you know, and it was like, oh, you know, we defeated these horrible neocons that brought us into Iraq. And, you know, I was so excited. And then slowly but surely you know you started to see what was really going on leading up to 2016 and you're starting to be like well wait a second like what what's actually happening here who actually has the power and you know i think the whole uh, occupy wall street and then you saw what happened with the left the left went from protesting things like the wto from protesting globalist you know uh w you know um g7 forces etc to 100% obsessed with identity all the time. And yeah. that happened right after Occupy Wall Street. And it was almost like, oh, they figured out the perfect way to just kill that entire thing, you know, and, and they did it and it worked. So then I started to, you know, then of course you get red pilled. I started reading Moldbug and stuff and seeing this from a very different perspective and just understanding that really I was a right wing person all along. Um, and then I voted for Trump and completely, you know, I was I was I had traveled throughout the Rust Belt for a vice story that never got published uh, it, right before Trump. And I could see that something was going to happen because it was all destroyed and everything. And I really went for Trump. And it's like I feel like I kind of like abandoning Trump now feels like wrong. But in my heart of hearts, I actually really agree with you. Like, I think that DeSantis is a much better choice. And he, right, he's young, he's an operator, he's got the relationships. And so many of our opposition are voting emotionally. Yes. He doesn't emotionally trigger people, which is actually a huge benefit. Because then it's like, they're, they're not just like blind raging so much, you know, I, I think, which I think helps us actually. Yeah. And, and, you know, Youngkin in Virginia to an extent, yeah. although he's following the playbook and none of these things would be possible without Trump. And yeah. on our side, there can be an emotional attachment to Trump. You know, right. you talked right. about feeling like you're abandoning him and it's like, yeah. no, like we can be thankful for everything he did, but 
we can't have a movement wrapped around one. What is he? 78. Yeah. Now? Like your old man, like we've got to be thankful and see those ideas, you know, tweaked and, and put into practice by other people and elsewhere. Yeah. Otherwise we risk going back to kind of the, the status quo that we had before that got us to where we are now. Yeah. Right. Right. I mean, I think, I think the concern, the worry is that, yeah, DeSantis is just too rational, you know, and it's like, he's not gonna, he's not gonna be able to do the base, you know, the the stuff that really needs to be done. And, and I think, uh, but I don't agree with that. I mean, I, 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 what I, from what I see, I think he's totally our guy and I'm, yeah, I'm definitely, how about a Trump, how about a DeSantis Trump? you know and then he could just tweet all day doesn't actually have to do anything Trump. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know <laughs> and he might be coming back uh you know with uh the musk twitter deal uh back in, in from yeah. what i understand the whole reason that twitter is now balking is they want to make sure that he's got the debt financing available to go through with the purchase but trump gets reinstated uh you know I, I do not believe his pledge <laughs> to stay on from Twitter. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so uh, let's let's talk about shifting topics a little bit. One one article that you wrote that really struck me because, and this is a little bit transitional into uh, what we're already talking about is we have on the right. There's this whole group of anon posters who uh, really think that you can't come out as a conservative if if you're a you know as we the the word for it is face fag but like if you if you're like i'm a face fag right which people know my face like you know what i'm saying uh but that's actually frowned upon by certain people because they view us as like more normie like we're we can't really say what we mean we can't really you know all this stuff but you had an article um, it, that immediately struck me called why you should out yourself as a conservative. And you have this great moment in here and I just want to read it um, where you're out at dinner with people and you say, while we'd interacted a handful of times, we'd never hung out as adults. It had always been as parents, which meant our impromptu gathering involved normal getting to know you pleasantries. When it was my turn to answer the question about what I do, I thought for a moment and admitted I'm currently between things when it comes to daytime employment, adding... Plus, I'm publicly a right-wing nut job, which likely doesn't help me in the current climate. Nor was I canceled, or sorry. Um, So they don't say anything bad. And you say, I wasn't canceled. Instead, it was uh, if I'd just given the secret handshake. I'd spoken the password. I'd unlocked the message with my little orphan Annie decoder ring. Turns out, despite assumptions, and we all know what the thing about assumptions, we were in the trust tree, able to speak freely. And we did until we returned to the facility just in time to retrieve our kids. So this is a moment that I go through all the time. I, I, li- I was just in Chicago. I went through this exact same thing with my cousin's friends who are all like these lawyers. And you just expect, you, you, oh, you can't say anything about it. But then you drop a little line and then it turns out, oh, yeah, we're we're on the same page. And so there's this, you know, coming from the corporate world. And, you know, we've spoken before and you mentioned, you know, that they agree and amplify. And there's this assumption on our part that, we're surrounded by hostile forces and i think we need to get over that fear and realize that especially now what we're talking about is not radical like saying you know like hey i don't you know want a dude in the locker room with my daughters 
hey, I don't think that, you know, my kids should have to wear a mask for a, a virus that she's not really at risk from. And, you know, or, or we need to stop spending money or, you know, whatever the case yeah, yeah. is. <laughs> right. You know, like the other side or even though I mentioned earlier, the counterculture thing, I mean, it's, it's almost like we are counter counterculture for normal thought, but we're so inundated with these messages, you know, whether it's advertising campaigns, Adidas had the, the, uh, a huge, uh, one of six months or so ago with the trans athlete. I think it aired during the Super Bowl, actually. And we're, we see this stuff and, and we assume that we're on the outside and probably especially you being, you know, in California or when you're visiting people in Chicago, but we're not like, there are a lot of people who are over it. They're like, you know, it, it's one thing when it was Obama and, you know, first black president Yeah, right, right. and uh, you know, like he said the quiet part out loud about gay marriage or what his feelings on gay marriage that was one thing that wasn't as much of a seismic shift as where we've gotten to, you know, the whole slippery slope fallacy has been proven to not be a fallacy. You know, it's, it's not a slippery slope. It's like an oiled up bobsled jump and we're going down it at breakneck speed and people are tired of it. And we have to come out and, and to your point, we do have to show our faces and I respect people who want anonymity and yeah. who are concerned but the issue with that is the more that we hide behind you know avatars or whatever the fewer people who are willing to join us whereas when they see you at you know as another parent at soccer practice or, or going to church or whatever well, I guess church isn't the best example. All the churches <laughs> have gotten pretty crazy too. Yeah, yeah. You uh, were tell you got to say what you said about that after this, but yeah, uh, uh, it's uh, it's important to let people know that we're not alone, you know. And so, while anonymity does very much serve a purpose, look at the founding of America. You had a bunch of you know a bunch of shit posters uh, sending out pamphlets under uh, pseudonyms. So I respect it, but. I just think it's time for us to not be afraid because you can't cancel everyone. Wait, is that true about, about founding father? Like who was, who was Anon posting in the, in those days? I'm riffing on something I got from, uh, was it uh, Antonio uh, Garcia Martinez? Oh, uh, who was it? I'm gonna have to look at, but, uh, <laughs> but like the, uh, Federalist papers and things like that. Yeah. Uh, or what name did they? Uh, so that was Hamilton. And yeah, so Hamilton, uh, John Jay, James Madison, Publius. So they all, they shared. So they uh, they all shared a, uh, uh, so they weren't really shit posting, but. Yeah. Uh, oh. But it's more fun to say it that way. But, yeah, enlightenment <laughs> shitposting. So, but they were not. What was Publius? Uh, so that was the the group handle. So the Federalist Papers. They didn't use their real name because this was kind of a rad radical thought at the time, uh, ahead of the revolution. And uh, so, or not ahead, but they had a uh, the uh, so they published the papers, the newsletters, the pamphlets that they passed out under this name of Publius instead of using their real name. But then 
obviously they came out of the shadows at some point yeah right okay so they were they were anonymous right and then but then eventually they came out yeah um to me it's funny because i've always struggled with this and and i it's trying to hide yourself and hide your career and you know how much do you get into this i think the the way that they really control you is by saying oh we'll just just don't talk about it, you know. Just don't talk about politics, you know. It's a why. Why would you bring it up? Why nobody wants to talk about this anyway, you know. Since I've like abandoned that and just been like, I'm out, you know. Like I'm out, as you said, come out as a conservative. Like I'm totally out now. I'm like not. I, before I kind of had layers of hiding. I'm just so much happier, and the people that I'm interacting with on a daily basis, it's like I feel like. You know, we the way that we deal with friendship in today's world, I'm I'm thinking about this a lot, is we have this notion that like you're supposed to have this group of friends that are just agnostic of politics, that you you know, these are your close friends, and you're just supposed to like, you know, watch football and have beers and stuff. And I have that. I have those people, right? And it's not that I don't like that, but I do find that the more I limit people who are woke or who don't aren't aligned with what we're doing in my life, the happier I am. You know, the more I come out as like really believing what I believe, the the better off I seem to be and the more purposeful I feel. Yes. And I, I agree with you. It's important to have, you know, my best bud is a, a Democratic voter. Yeah, sure. And but at the same time, he's not super dedicated especially to the modern incarnation and also this is where you'll find alignment with other people whereas when you get beyond the political label and get into the actual ideas uh you know a lot of people are just tired of the messaging like uh i was around a, a more liberal guy during pride month and it's just like pride pride and he's, <laughs> he's just like you know I'm done with, why does everything have to be about pride? You know, like, you know, your pride cereal and your pride, you know, (laughs) cupcake. And, you know, it's just like, okay, we get it. Like, and so I think that there's a weariness amongst the kind of normal middle, even those who would traditionally vote left. That's another value in coming out is even though they may have been like you and, you know, voted for Obama or whatever, like, and even if they're still voting democratic, they're just like, guys come on like can we can, can we get away from this like fringe like one percent of the population uh you know issues and get into like normal stuff so why do you think that that fringe one percent has managed to just gain so much power at least over the 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 systems of propaganda so we have a very well th- we've developed this idea that like being judgmental or critical is like the worst thing in the world. And like, you know, it's almost like it would be better to be like a tolerant serial killer than it would be to admit that you have an opinion that runs against these fringes. And our side, especially we get caught up in being polite, even though, you know, we could be getting hit in the face and we don't want to hit back. And also I think there's a lot of just, you know people chasing one another with this desire to to out 
outdo, you know, to show your tolerance. Like, and I do not think that tolerance is as important. And now I do think that normal tolerance in normal times, but tolerance of like insanity, no. Like, you know, people who have no knowledge of religion love to bring up Jesus. And, you know, Jesus hung out with prostitutes. Well, yeah, he, but he didn't say keep doing it. He <laughs> said, <laughs> he was like, hey, there's a better way. I want to help you live a better life. And when it comes to this whole notion of tolerance that's infected everything, and I think really comes up in the marketing world, it, uh, you know, that you can show people love and compassion, but still, you know, say, hey, you need to change some things about what you're doing. There's a great quote in uh, like Kabbalistic Judaism that's don't relish in the what's allowed. So I, that, that's like kind of what you're saying. It's like just because Jesus wasn't like, let's kill prostitutes doesn't mean that therefore everybody should be a prostitute. Yes. You know? It's like it, it's the, they're mixing things up like they're they're saying, oh, well, we can be gay. So therefore, let's make everything about being gay all the time because like we need to, you know, and and that's not. Yeah, that that's really a mistaken um, perspective. But I still so it sounds like what you're saying is it's a battle of attrition. And the people who are more right-minded just haven't really been up for the fight with the people who have. Yeah, that's a much more succinct way of saying what I was uh, <laughs> rambling around there. Uh, that and I, it sometimes it seems like we think if we uh, just chill, the moment will pass. And uh, I, to an extent, I, I almost agree with that because I, I'm not a national divorce guy. I don't want civil war to like, I'm not ready to give up on America. Uh, and the pendulum does swing, but you know, sometimes we need to be more active in pulling the pendulum back right. rather than just waiting for it to happen. Exactly. So, and that's what, that's, I think what so many, that's the mistaken um belief and i hear people saying this all the time oren mcintyre says this also who's great and i really like his stuff but um you know he's like oh well yeah there it seems to be a lot of times he's saying like there's really not much to do besides wait but i don't agree with, I, I i don't agree with that I, I don't think that we can wait i don't think that that's no. because that's how we got here we got here because we were waiting you know i mean it's like at a certain point people really need to start coming out much more forcefully against this stuff because um it's so bad and it's so wrong and it's like you know you literally have the health secretary of the entire nation people are always like oh why do you care it doesn't affect you you know it doesn't really affect your life i'm like literally you have a man dressed up as a woman who is the health secretary of the entire country <laughs> of the nation Who's up there saying, give your kids hormones, trans hormones. It's like, that's straight up child abuse on a massive, it's like, it's so evil that you can't even wrap your mind around it. So it's like, people just think, oh, well, if we wait around long enough, it'll go away. It's like, no, 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 no. It's not going to just go away. You know, like you have to actually fight it. It's crazy to me that in 2022, we've decided that, you know, it's important as a society, a, a, a progressive advanced society to, to embrace genital mutilation. Yeah, it's in children. so insane. It's a, and, I, 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 and it's so wrong. And it's like, 
Oh God. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. And yeah. And when people ask like, just to this, why do I care? It's, you know, like the reason I care about politics or policy or any of this, I do care about people. You know, I, I want a flourishing, healthy society. I want the world, my children inhabit when they grow up to be a good place. Like I don't, I don't want to like move off the grid and like go become a, you know, a, not a Unabomber, but live a, a Unabomber style life just off the grid, you know, writing manifestos. Like I care about society. And I think that that's something that people assume our side Oh, we just hate everybody. We're 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 phobic. Everything yeah, is a phobia. Everything's like, phobia. No, like maybe we actually love people and see the the harm that a lot of these ideas are causing to them. Yeah, right, right. Do you are you willing to talk about some of your own? I know you. Uh, we both have kids. Are, are you willing to talk about some of that? Yeah. Okay. So, like, I have a daughter. I know you have a daughter. And that's what scares me the most. My, I, you know, I'm just so scared that like in Canada, somebody's going to, you know, oh, she's going to say one day, I feel like a boy. And then somebody's going to be like, oh, you need to have lifelong surgery. Let's get you on pills for the rest of your life. And if you are disagree with that, dad, you know, you're going to jail, you know, I, I, like that's what I'm worried about. So, you know, a buddy of mine who, uh, we had a similar journey over uh, from more pure libertarianism to where we are now years ago, years ago before DeSantis or uh, Abbott in Texas or anybody was talking about this. He goes, he was saying, we need a parental bill of rights because this is what's coming. He's like, we're going to get to a point where our children are going to be able to be taken from us. For yeah. Our, us having wrong thoughts. And at that time, you know, you know, 10 years ago or whatever, it's was like, ah, eh, you know, no, but now I realize what a visionary he was. And it is, this is one benefit. You know, I, I've complained about, you know, the wokeification of corporate America, even in, in Arkansas. But it is one benefit of where I live is it's not, we don't have parents here jockeying to uh, out, out tolerate one another using their kids as examples and my kids go to a school that would not tolerate that at all so that's helpful for me to just have the peace of mind knowing that like they're not going to school and going into the the gender closet and coming out in a different set of clothing with a different name for the day that then they then change before i pick them up in the afternoon whereas you know in you know more blue places yeah. it is a very much a concern and uh, it is also something I, I've got. Uh, my oldest is about to turn 15. And of course, she's rebelling against mom and dad to an extent. And so she's a lot more tolerant of this stuff. And, you know, we've had some like screaming arguments about. So where is she receiving? Because it seems like she's not getting it at school, at least, which thank God. But where is she receiving this like pro trans messaging from? You think? the internet just and, you know right yeah everything. and it's i a lot of this comes from my own upbringing i was not sheltered at all and not that my parents were like taking me to like drag shows or anything like that <laughs> you know but like i was allowed to watch movies and read books and and i didn't have to smuggle anything in and some of it was probably age inappropriate I, I think i read stephen king's it when i was in like the seventh grade oh yeah so did i, I got and, that, uh, that same age i've taken 
my my general position just on fatherhood is they're going to go out into the world and it is my job to protect them but when it comes to ideas they're going to encounter them so i would rather be an open thing where we can actually have those fights rather than push it underground and you know the same with like i know my daughters are going to date so like yes i know you're you're growing you're starting to develop feelings towards boys like that's okay uh i guess my fear is uh or the my the way i do it is to try to not drive them away i would rather let them go through you know being young and stupid and have me as a sounding board than uh than try to completely cloister them from yeah, these ideas. Right. yeah right 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 and it's just so pervasive uh everywhere you know like i mean even in pixar movies and stuff now or you know you're starting to see these little uh flashes there was the yeah what was it the uh big hero six short or something recently that uh or the show where big hero six was helping some woman who was on her period and he goes to the store to buy uh tampons yeah and this like person in like the with the like trans flag shirt on who like looks like a boy was like oh well you know for menstruating people here's the product you need oh god man you know the whole movie um red panda is about a like a girl getting her period i think yeah like that's a whole metaphor for that which is like yeah that's fine but uh no also it's uh, sorry no what are you gonna say oh no no just real quick and i'll let you go no no i also noticed that stuff is backfiring because it's it's cool and so the kids don't want to they don't want to agree with the adults and so some of this stuff it's not working. Like my oldest watched some episodes of She-Hulk and she was like, what is this supposed to be? (laughs) (laughs) Sucked. Uh, Well, also there's that character. Yeah. You're seeing it really creeping in, into the Disney stuff. There's that care. I was struck by the character in the new toy story named Spoonie. So there's a character named Spoonie in the new toy story four, I go five or whatever that, uh, it's a spoon that's like barely a toy, but it's like a spoon that the little girl has kind of like put stickers on and put a pipe cleaner on and it comes alive as a toy. And I really thought it was a tell that on the foot of Spoonie, there's a rainbow. And it's like, he's kind of like, it's a he, she, you can't really tell like what, what it is. And it's also like, almost like, it's almost a metaphor for these identities that they want to sell you. It's like, you can become a real thing. If you subscribe to our identity, like we'll take you from nothing into like being real, you know, like we're making trans people real. And they're these kind of like broken toys. But with us, you know, if you, if you join the globalist regime, we can transform you into a, a, you know, a a real thing. Um, So you do see it, it coming in there. Yeah definitely and uh so that's you know uh and, and my kid she has tiktok so i'm sure that but it's uh there we do have a lot of policies around electronics where you know like complete just don't expect privacy like yeah. so so even though i said I, i'm not a big gatekeeper it's different now because you don't have to go to the library or you know borrow a copy of a book or whatever you know find somebody's like uh 
parents' password to the satellite yeah. dish or whatever. Like. <laughs> like we had to do, right. So how do you argue against this stuff? That Because this is just such a like triggering fear that I think so many of us have, which is like, you know, what is more scary than you wanting to raise your kids in a certain way and this evil regime like having access to their brain and trans and you know selling them these horrible ideas that are so damaging and you have you're like helpless to stop it you know it's it's just such a so how do you how do you press against how do you propagandize against these things that they're receiving you know it's funny that I think some of the best defense is using their own language. Like my favorite, you know, two word phrase is, uh, you know, her penis. (laughs) (laughs) That's just really funny. And, you know, it's just so absurd on so many levels and people know it's absurd, but because we want to be polite, we want to be tolerant. We, you know, we just, we agree at Amplifier, we just quietly nod our heads, but like, it's just obvious. And it's funny, I'm starting to think that like, you know, there's going to be, I I could envision, you know, you already see on Twitter, you know, you see the turf fights, the trans exclusionary radical feminist, that hasn't really seeped over into the real world. If you say turf to a normal person, they're going to say what? But I, I, I think it's, there's a possibility of weird, alignments uh moving forward which i think is something that trump uh did a good job of finding these different people to bring together and so i could see a world where like like conservatives and lesbians team up and like against this like radical gender thing because while i'm not one that's super worried about you know misogyny uh at least the way most people are worried about it as a father of daughters it it is concerning to me that the modern movement is really trying to erase women you know mm-hmm. my, my yeah. glib take on it is the patriarchy always wins because you know every woman of the year is now a man like so why did they do that though wait like wh- where is this coming from even it's the, the reason it's so effective is it's just it's so bewildering like where do they get this shit from? And why are they putting it forward? Like, who is doing this to us? I am increasingly of the opinion, you know, the old journalistic adage, follow the money. You know, yeah. recently Libs of TikTok found the Vanderbilt. Yes. Uh, woman yes. at Vanderbilt who was arguing in favor of really expanding their gender affirming care, not for any, you know, noble reasons, at least people, the proponents would claim is noble, but for purely financial reasons. And I forget the name of the family and I'm not going to try to Google this right now, but there is a family of billionaires who are very uh, vocal about pushing trans rights and, and, you know, all this. And they also have a huge financial stake in some of the companies providing all these pharmaceuticals. And, you know, it's not just a surgery. It's not just a pill. It's you become a life. It's a lifetime patient. patient. Yeah. It's a dependent identity. This is, I've, I've written a little bit about this. It's a, all the, the, and I think following the money, you're exactly right. It's like, if you take each one of these issues to its core, you'll see that there's like a large amount of money to be made by, you know, or 
it's freeing people from their funds. You know, it's it's uh, if they find ways to make you a subscriber to this ideology. Which is something you've written a lot about. You, uh, right. you know, I'm assuming anyone watching this has read the the uh, rise of consumer nationalism. Right, right. And uh, it's it started in the 60s again, you know, not to trace everything back to the 60s, but the concept of identity has so overtaken everything. You know, it's not just like, you know, I'm a father and a husband and, you know, a marketer or whatever. It's, you know, I'm a cis white <laughs> male and it's, yeah, yeah. it's, it's ridiculous. And, and uh, which also drives a lot of this, but it, then it, it pulls people in because of this selling of identity. We're trying to find these virtual tribes rather than yeah. just going out in our neighborhood and like talking to the people who actually live around us. Yeah. 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 Uh, no, I, so I think you're totally right. I mean, money is a huge part of it and it's, that's, and I think that that's a big explanation for so much of the woke marketing too. It's like the, the customer is not the customer that it used to be. It used to be you sell widget to guy, you know, and, and that yeah. was it. Like that was your job. Now it's so much more vague. Like as a company, you're better off trying to do some like public private partnership and like drink taxpayer money milkshake going like over the top than try and like sell a product to a person, you know? Right. And, and on the lower level, you're better off trying to get a subscriber or a, somebody who's paying you for their trans pills every single month for their entire lives Think about how valuable that customer is compared to just some, you know, white dude who buys five major things a year, you know, and that's the thing, like women spend 80% of the money. Right. So, yeah, it's like, it's actually kind of makes sense to formulate yourself as these companies really into something that's not just selling products anymore. Sorry, speaking, you can hear my baby maybe crying, but, um, uh, Cool. All right. Well, let's uh, shift gears a little bit to um, your work with uh, coffee and Koshan. So what is that? What's the what's it about? And um, who's your co-host and why did you start that? So it it actually uh, started. I was uh, doing the website for uh, Brad Jackson, who was the creator of the podcast and his then co-host. But his co-host had to tap out. And a mutual friend, Ben Dominich, who used to be the publisher of The Federalist and who's now a spectator, the spectator world, told Brad, he's like, well, just use Rich as your co-host. And Brad and Ben had a very successful podcast in the early days of podcasting called Coffee and Markets. And so Coffee and Cushon was kind of a, a riff on that original, uh, but shifting more in a cultural direction where we talk about food, drink, you know, football, you know, we have politics come in. But uh, it's not an overtly political show. And uh, it's just been kind of an evolution uh, over time. Uh, we started a little over a year ago. And it's just really to to talk about things that we like. Uh, and, and you being a food guy. Yeah. Uh, it, trying to, to remain intentional, I think, uh, would be a, a big part of it. Like, my big thing is I usually do a cocktail of the week and 
there's no mixers, you know, you're, you're not going to go to the store and buy this, you know, you're not going to get out your, your real lemon, you know, little plastic bottle. You're going to cut up a real lemon <laughs> and uh, just kind of return to uh, letting people know that you can do this stuff. We, as we've gotten busy as a society and then, you know, home ec courses have gone away and things like that. I think people have gotten afraid. Like they think they need to just go to the store and buy it ready to go. It's yeah. like, no, you can, you can make this at home yourself for yeah. a lot, a lot easier than you think you could. Yeah. It's a more increased dependence. Um, what, what you write, you talk a lot about gin. I've noticed there's been a lot of gin episodes recently. You talk so, about the queen's favorite cocktail. So actually it started off. I'm a big bourbon guy. Yeah. I was uh, counting last night. I think I've got 30 different varieties in my house right now. And I'm not a big spender, you know, normally when you talk bourbon people, it's like, Oh, well, you know, I've got this bottle of Pappy that I paid yeah, $2,500 for. Right. Yeah, no, yeah. that's, that's not me. But, uh, I had done a lot of gen or bourbon cocktails and a lot of bourbon stuff. Cause I'm a bourbon guy and there's a distillery down the street for me that makes gin. And so I've, that's really where the gin okay, came from. Yeah. It's like, all right, I need to, I need to mix this up. I can't just be the bourbon guy. Oh, okay. So that's why it's been shifting to gin. Yeah. yeah. Uh, gin's having a moment where I just went to a gin, a Filipino gin bar in LA oh. last night. And it, it was all these very fancy cocktails. I'm also a huge bourbon guy. Are you, what's your, uh, you know, Willet? I do know Willet. Yeah. I'm a big fan of Willet. Uh, I, uh, my first bourbon I really got into was Blanche. Oh yeah, Blends great is great. I actually really love Blends too. That's, I do too, and it's yeah. one of those things that people kind of poo-poo. You know, once you get into it, it's like, oh, Blends. It's like, yeah. oh, well, if it's so you know terrible, how come you know I I can only buy bottles on the secondary market? Yeah, I can't just go to the store. But uh, lately, I've gotten really into a Elijah Craig Barrel Proof. Oh, okay, I've seen that. Yeah, I've seen that. Nice, that's a good one. And then I uh, for like a a more affordable. Uh, I like Eagle Rare a lot, but I would love, I, I was excited when you said you went to a, a Filipino gin thing uh, yeah. because I, I want the bourbon moment to go away so that it's not this whole like quest to find a bottle. Yeah. Like, you know, joining bourbon Facebook groups where like <laughs> people are like, okay, at this store, they had three bottles of Weller Special Reserve. And this yeah. is probably all crazy to you because of where you live. But Arkansas has these Byzantine laws that I, I don't even understand that put us real low on the list for liquor distribution. And oh, so things that people take for granted are like things that like are allocated here. So really? like I found a bottle of like Weller Special Reserve, which is despite the name, it's like, you know, limited edition or whatever. It's one of those terms that like Everybody you give to has. like your cheapest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 right. And so I, I saw that there was a liquor store that right down the street from me that had three bottles of Weller special reserve. And I went and grabbed one. I said, is there a limit on this? He's like, yeah, you can only have one because oh, I actually wow. put these on the shelves yesterday and you're the first person to buy one. And it was like, well, if I'm the first person, you know, you should probably let me buy two, but, <laughs> but yeah, so it's, so That's I would love for people to start fighting over gin. Instead. Yeah, I think it's going to happen. I think I think it's coming. You're seeing it more and more gin, gin everywhere. And uh, yeah, I, I'm uh, 
I had a client in Indiana once, huge bourbon guy, and they were obsessed with Willet also. And they would buy, they give you a map of the distillery and you can buy where the barrel has been sitting because like, oh, the barrel near the wall is actually like less expensive than the barrel near the middle because the middle barrel is going to have like a slightly different taste and is going to be more like, I don't know, whatever, uh, which I found very crazy. Like it gets to that level. Yeah. I have a buddy who's in a club where they'll buy a barrel, like the club barrel, you know, of whatever. Wow. Yeah. I, Drink it right out of there. That's cool. I, I think if you Pepsi challenge a lot of this, it's kind of like yeah, I was a sorry. server during the vodka craze and, you know, it had people that were just so particular yeah. about which vodka they had. And it's I definitely, <laughs> yeah, I, they're definitely, they're definitely different grades, but it's one of those things. It's where marketing, the power of branding. Right. In, yeah. You build that loyalty. So how have you seen food change recently? I mean, it's probably quite different in, in Arkansas than than in other places. But I, I have found that writing about food really like resonates with people recently because I, I think that we're starting to see like in Montana, in Bozeman, it was very striking how much the food had changed in almost in only six years. It, it had gone from, you know, you could still get a decent burger uh, there was still a few restaurants that were really like, you know, that old West fresh food, but, you know, kind of like cowboy food, um, steak and potatoes kind of places it, with like elk steak, you know, whereas when I went to Bozeman this last time, it was all these restaurants that have names like, you know, charcoal and fire. And then you find out they're owned by a hedge fund and it's like the same menu. It's like, you know, chicken flatbread, but like Montana style, you know, and it's like this kind of fake localism. So I'm wondering if you're seeing any of that where you are. So we're in a very fortunate uh, spot in that we're still in the ascent of the true localism where okay. there are a lot of restaurateurs who are focused on products they can get here in Arkansas, uh, you know, buying meat you know we're buying cows or pigs or whatever from local ranches and you know slaughtering them in-house so we've actually got a surprisingly good food scene it's like going place. well right now yeah okay yeah. yeah it hasn't been now there is a i, I won't you know be that specific but there is a local group uh run by some uh, billionaires uh so you probably guess, you know, what their last name <laughs> is. And they do fund a lot of, uh, their their group has a lot of restaurants that really does focus on quality. But I think that one of the two who's involved in the money has bad taste because all their restaurants <laughs> kind of end up being the same where it's like, okay, I know the burger is going to be good, but anything else. Anything else sucks, right? Yeah, <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. And uh, it, it is a cool part about being in Arkansas is like, I can go to somebody's like farm or, you know, house or whatever and like buy a chicken. Yeah. Like, now, I'm, not, I'm not butchering chickens. Like that's not something I've learned how to do, but like, you know, I can buy a chicken and uh, that's already been dressed and like see the other chickens out in the backyard. Wow. Or whatever. Yeah. So yeah, that's great. Yeah. But uh, at the same time, I, I we are starting to uh, see some of the shift towards the like, more weird health conscious uh things and then 
also the thing that really gets me about food right now is like a lot of other cultural things is the whole idea of appropriation, which I think is so stupid, just regardless of how you're applying it. But uh, what was it? There was a, a huge controversy a couple of years ago where some college was uh, celebrating multicultural week or something about Vietnam and they, they served a bon mi. And people who didn't know what a bon mi was, was like, how in the hell are you going to serve a sandwich to honor Vietnamese people? And it's like, because that's what <laughs> they ate because they all these people who ended up in vietnam from other cultures brought their things and the vietnamese people put their own spin on it and you know that's how food works that's how culture works as people bring in bits and pieces from other places and appropriate them uh sorry got off on a tangent yeah, there, no yeah 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 no but, uh, yeah there's a lot of that uh discussion here it's like oh you can't serve this thing because uh yeah it's appropriating the authentic culture of <laughs> some other thing um yeah that's funny i yeah i think i we're just seeing um such a decline of elsewhere probably not in arkansas uh we're seeing a decline in food quality for sure you know, and people have been t tweeting about this. Like you're seeing like the restaurants, the like just the quality of the chicken, like things are really declining in, in the big cities for sure. And in places like Bozeman, where it's like everything is a rainbow flag, you know, there's great coffee. The coffee's at an all time high because we're in like third wave coffee world still. And we can still get that. But like the meat quality is going down. Just the, the menus are really at non-creative there's nothing really local anymore, um, which is what we're saying. But you might be protected. It, it, well, and, you know, where we are on the other side here, uh, your Bozeman article, I think I included this when I tweeted it out. There's a, a, a bar in Bentonville where Walmart is actually headquartered called The Dive Bar. And my buddy and I went in and, and it's own we assumed it was owned by the same conglomerate who has, you know, when, I don't know when cocktails all got to be $18. A oh piece, my God. Yeah. And they're not even good. They all taste the exact same. They're not even like those expensive cocktails are not even good at all. I don't understand why anybody drinks them. And yeah. And so we were like, well, where's the drink menu? And, and the, the, the bartender like looks at us and just sneers. We're a dive bar. <laughs> like, like, no. You you got a bunch of hipsters with like ear gauges yeah. and they're like street cycling gear sitting out on your patio. Yeah. A dive bar is where people who just got off third shift at the factory are drinking at seven. Right, yeah, right, right, right. So like, I was in Chicago over the summer and went to there's you'll know the name of it. I've forgotten. There's a bar right next to Wrigley. It's a little uh, or maybe you'll know, but like go in and I got a Chicago handshake at 11 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> for those who don't know, uh, Chicago handshake is a shot of Jepson's Malort, which is just a terrible, terrible liquor liqueur that advertises on how bad it is. And then a can of old style. Oh, I love that. That's great. And, uh, Malort like, shots. So that's a dive bar. Like a dive bar is not a place where hipsters go to hang out. So that to me was a big sign of uh the shift that might come here to arkansas that you know similar to bozeman of where it goes from there used to be real dive bars but now there's like the dive bar yeah, yeah okay got it got it yeah no that's exactly what i'm talking about it, like it used to be like this is a montana barbecue place that was actually montana barbecue now it's like 
yeah, charcoal, smoke, and spices. And it's like, oh, they always have these and titles, you know, they're very vague. And it's like authentic Montana barbecue. And then you eat it and it's like, this is clearly like frozen brisket you flew in from somewhere. And then you look into it, it's like, oh, this is a part of a real estate investment trust that bought the entire block. And, you know, it's, and people I think are realizing like, oh, I'm being sold localism that's not localism. Yeah. Um, localism as a brand. Localism as a local, eat, drink local. Um, yeah. Okay, cool. Well, so before wrapping up here, let's just talk a little bit more about, um, you say that, let's talk about two more things. One thing, I think that you're kind of like an optimist. You've said that America still has a future. Uh, you also have a great quote that the future isn't female, the present is female. So where you seem optimistic about the future. Where do you think that we're headed, um, in the next decade or so? So it starts with the present being female. So, you know, that's just a marketing slogan, but you look at who's getting the majority of college degrees, who is getting jobs now, uh, who's getting more preferential treatment in the world. And in a lot of ways it's women. And I don't think that it's done from a, a place of goodness. I think that women are more dedicated to their jobs than men are in general. Yeah, uh, I think so too. There's a a more cooperative nature, a less uh, willingness to rock the boat. And so they make good employees. They make good cogs. You know, back in the, the days when men were the sole breadwinners and, you know, you would have men who just never saw their children, you know, who just like worked and provided and they did it because they had to. Uh, but then there was still more of a, a balance. Uh, you know, not everyone was like that. You would have the dad who would go to work and, you know, clock in, clock out, come home. He would have time. He would maybe be tired. Uh, but he wouldn't necessarily make his job his identity. Now, granted, there are always people who are going to say, you know, well, I am VP of this. And that's going to be how they define themselves. But uh, with women, it, it just, they're much more willing to really go in and <clears throat> make work their family. Yeah. Yeah. And that's true. But they're still, you know, in declining numbers, but people are still having kids and they're still having families. And women's happiness is at the lowest it's ever been since we started tracking these things. And now self-described happiness uh, indices, I mean, how do you define it? You right, know, like, yeah, yeah. So I don't know how valuable they are, but, you know, given the women's revolution and breaking the glass ceilings and this and that, it doesn't seem that any of them are really happy with it. Well, what are they? It's like 60% of urban white women are on antidepressants or something oh and it's so it's like are they yeah is this actually making them happier and i think we have i mean maybe you saw that uh did in your like growing up life your friends or your family or anything did you see like dissatisfied women at home who were bored and suicidal because the dad was away and they were just stuck and they couldn't do anything and nobody took them seriously no i didn't and, you know, I knew a lot of like stay at home moms. Uh, my own mom stayed at home for a majority of my life until uh, 
just financially, she had to go back to work. But my little sister and I were a little older when this uh, happened. We were both already in school and she was still able to, you know, be mom in a lot. She had very flexible jobs that didn't demand she, you know, work until midnight or whatever. And uh, so now we've shifted to where women are more doing the, you know, working at midnight and things like that. And, you know, my wife has a very demanding corporate job. And one reason that gives me hope is like the daughters are like, I don't want that. <laughs> yeah, I don't want that at all. Yeah, yeah. And so I think that, you know, we could, one reason I'm optimistic is, you know, the pendulum and always going back to the pendulum. So you've seen like women really come in and dominate and prove that they can be the CEO and prove that they can do it. And I'm not going to, you know, I'm not here to like, be like, oh, they're all failures. And, you know, a lot of them work hard. A lot of them are very successful. They're good at what they do. But is it what they truly want to do or is it what someone convinced them? Yeah, well, right. And, right. And 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 they sold them just like how Bernays sold cigarettes to women as like a mark of liberty. It's yes. like, oh, give your whole co- entire life to Salesforce and they'll pay you, you know, OK, and that'll be it. That'll be your whole life. And you're supposed to, and, and then, you know, Salesforce then has access to twice as many workers so they can pay everybody way cheaper and it's like but oh that's a big win for you that you gave what man would be like oh i made it to vp at 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 salesforce you know like whereas whereas a woman is supposed to feel really accomplished because they beat you know they they beat the patriarchy to do that but then they get there and they're like oh I have a yeah. shitty corporate job just like everybody else. This sucks. You know, this isn't like great. You know, it's yeah. really shitty. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I hope you're right that more women are seeing that. I think um, in terms of America still having a future, I think, you know, I hope it does. You see a lot of people really cynical about this and a lot of people being a little bit hyperbolic. Um, the The difference, though, is women. Like every other society in history that has failed or survived or almost every single other one did not have this amount of women in positions of power. Right. Like we have more women now who, as you were saying, I think it's true that they're a little more likely to be like ideologues for a certain, you know, they're very sensitive to group dynamics that they don't want to be. I've worked with all women, so I've like seen this many times. They, they really focus a lot more on like the group dynamic than the end goal. And, yes. and they're, they, they view their jobs. This is obviously a generalization. Not all women are like this, but often they do view their jobs, particularly in groups as like promoting the health of the group, which is the, their natural instinct. It's totally fine. Whereas men view it as like, let's get the job actually done. Like, let's just yeah. do the job. Um so I think that the big challenge we have right now is, and I think that this is a big problem with like trying to use rationalism to fight, to fight wokeness, is that the remedy to this is going to be different because there are so many women in these middle manager positions now in this power structure that the change is going to have to look different than it has in the past. I don't know what it looks like, but yeah. I've got an anecdote about that. So I was in a meeting with some uh, people from Walmart years ago and they were trying to figure out how to sell Walmart to working moms. And they were like, well, what is the benefit that working moms get from Walmart? And 
I tried to apply a rational argument. I said, well, you know, you save money. You can do all your shopping in one place. So you save time, uh, you know, so that's more time for your family, more spending, you know, more money you have for summer camp or whatever, you know, like it's a very practical thing. And I spent an hour arguing with them about this because they were like, no, 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 no. Like, what is the benefit? <laughs> that's really funny. It's like, well, the things I just said, but, it, it you know, yeah. I want to say it was one of those, uh, as you know, people who outside of corporate America don't realize how much doesn't get done. How much is just having meetings? Oh my God. Go nowhere. Oh, insane. Well, and that's why it, I think maybe financial, if we do have a crash, that'll save us somewhat because these horrible structures that are just adult daycares uh, will have to go away because nobody's going to pay for them anymore. But we'll, you know, we'll see. No, that's a hilarious anecdote. And it's, it's a perfect example of what we're talking about. It's like so many of the more centrist people are like well we can defeat the uh you know the the trans people with rational arguments it's like no you know there's no you can't that's not it's not a rational discussion that's being had here it's all about you know yeah virtue signaling and um, are you a good person and you know these much more feminine views of like of meaning and and uh and benefit as you're saying and i think that Looking at it that way tells you a lot about like why we're headed this way. Um, so, uh, but again, where do you see us like in 10 years, do you think? Oh, sorry. Yeah, I got away from the original no, question. Okay. Uh, I think things are probably going to get worse before they get better. Uh, I think there are going to be some bitter fights, particularly around the trans issue. We're starting to see more and more detransitioners uh, come out and say, why did you let this happen to me? But right now they're being painted as bigots. So it's like, it doesn't matter that they've been through this and they're, you know, physically messed up for the rest of their lives. Like, oh, well, you're a bigot for, you know, suggesting this wasn't the best. So I think we're going to see a lot more fights uh, in coming years around identities, particularly gender identity, sexual identity. But <clears throat> I think that also we're getting to a point where people are having enough to where they're going to be like, you know, time out. We, we got to put a pause on this. Like even not to keep using my oldest daughter as, as an example, but we had a discussion the other day about where she said, you know, why is everything about sexuality? Why is everything <laughs> about, it's like, can, can we just talk about other things that are more interesting about people than their sexual identity? And so I think that's, uh, so we could also end up in a much better place, but I, I think that uh, financially as a nation, that's going to bring, a. Uh, I think we're going to have a lot of headaches there also, which, so the fight could go in a completely different direction. Cause what is it? Uh, uh, Social security is supposed to really go bankrupt in four years. I think it is. So we could be having a discussion about, you know, what barter system we're going, yeah. to, <laughs> right, we're right. going to use, but I, I, I do think uh, that we're going to also see more normalcy uh, as we've seen in recent elections. One positive of COVID was that parents saw what was happening in schools and things like that. Uh, and so they're starting to push back and take a more active role. So I don't know. I, I guess I could see it either. We could either be in the, a much more bitter fight in 10 years or where I would like to see what I, I'm hopeful for is that we're starting to have 
we've reverted back to having more realistic discussions about things that actually matter to the majority of people rather than letting one, two, three percent of society dictate the uh, the direction. Yeah, I, I know. What you, I think it's kind of actually reversed. I think we're going to get better in the short run because uh, I, I think that there's like kind of two enemies here. Like like enemy number one is this group of the managerial class of communists, basically, <laughs> you know, bio Leninists, whatever you would call them. And they just got to get out. They we, we just have to get them out, you know, and, and once they get out, things will get better for a time. But then we're going to have to tangle with. Um, I think a lot of this is coming from the fact that now there can be a one world government. Like you could do it now because of the internet, right? So when you can do something, a vacuum opens up. And I think part of the reason why we're seeing what we're seeing is that there's this massive vacuum, like at the top of the globe where like a single hegemonic entity could exist. And that's why it's like globalists what we call them as globalists are these kind of like weird power structures that are starting to fill that vacuum, even though they don't even really want to there. It's just happening because they can. And so that's why you have this weird stuff of like the world economic fund guy, you know, with Klaus Schwab, you know, you have yeah, who, who of course dresses like a supervillain just yeah, to right. play the part. Right. So I think you have this happening, but it's not actually super intentional. It's like, I, I think it's actually more of the fact it's, it's sort of disorganized and nobody really is. People are kind of like, well, we should be doing it about tolerance. So let's put a rainbow flag everywhere. We don't know really what to do. And, you know, it makes us more money anyway, as you said. So, sorry, what were you going to say? Oh, no, I was going to just agree with you. Yeah, I was going to yeah. agree and amplify. But I, <laughs> I think that that's what we're seeing with big business. It's not necessarily that big businesses want to become uh, like a a secondary government that's pushing through, but they they have the same goals they share with leaders around the world. And they're like, well, if nobody's going to do it, then I guess we should. I guess we should do it. And like we have this kind of vague ideology of like tolerance and it's it's very utilitarian it's like well we're maximizing the good you know it's like that yes. that uh hilarious cartoon of like the white kid who's like my bike was stolen and i was hurt but i realized the guy who stole it needed it more than me so actually the world is better off and i'm happy you know it's these horrible utilitarian rationalist arguments that just rob humanity of any of the natural like feelings that we have which is much more evil but they just don't have any other ideology, really, you know, and, and yeah. so that, that this is just kind of what they default to. So I think that that group is actually going to be easier to get out than people think. And if we can get in a DeSantis, I think he's the perfect guy to to basically purge that group. Uh, and then we'll get back to like stability. But then we're going to have to tangle with the fact that there is this big hole at the top of the world structure now where we're so connected now you can kind of have a single leader of the world. Like it's possible. And then how, then what do we do? Like now, you know, who goes there? How do we fill that hole? That's a very difficult challenge. Yeah. And it's difficult to predict because I mean, I'm a little older than you, but you've been alive long enough to like imagining where we are today Yeah. yeah. when Obama was first elected, you know, like we're talking about, you know, just 2008 so not 
in just a little over a decade, we've gone in a radically different direction. So it's so hard to predict how quickly things are going to change. Right. Exactly. I, I think I think you're really right. It's it's we're in such weird foreign territory that no one thought we were gonna be in that it's like, how do we where, where do we go from here? Um okay, let's finish up with um uh you're doing some really interesting stuff recently with Federalists. I love the piece that you wrote uh about the 20s rhyming with the 80s. Yes. Culturally. So as a child of the 80s, you know, I have very fond memories of the 80s. Uh, not so much the fashion, although uh, I'm starting <laughs> to see that return. Uh, when I was a kid, you know, I tried to have a mullet. My hair is too curly, but uh, kids now are just wearing mullets, you know, unironically. But at the same time, things were very dark. Uh, gas prices were climbing. There were energy uh, shortages, uh, the threat of nuclear war, and... We came from that to into something much better with the election of Reagan. And, uh, you know, we did have the benefit of coming out of the 70s and into the 80s with Jimmy Carter, who Joe Biden has done his best to uh, burnish Carter's history by coming in and just like, oh, you were bad. Just wait. I I'm going to do a much worse job in uh, cleaning this up for you. <clears throat> but the moment where it kind of struck me was the success of Top Gun Maverick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was a very pro-America movie where, you know, it's just unbelievable. This team goes in, defeats the unnamed bad guy. Yeah, the unnamed. Well, of course, they couldn't have it be a real country. It had to yeah. just be this, like, vague country. Now, of course, the uh, unit that Tom Cruise put together was appropriately diverse. Yeah. Know, like a female, Latina. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, and despite critics just panning it, it was a huge box office success. It's still in theaters right now. I went to see Bros the other night for a review that it, <laughs> I really hope this review comes out so I didn't spend money and time on this terrible movie. Uh just to watch it but to yeah. contrast the two so bros is bad like i the review i wrote just kind of as a straight review i didn't get into how repellent billy eichner the star is or anything yeah. but it's supposed to be a comedy and rom-coms are not known for being hilarious but it really failed as a comedy and it's failing at the box office and so critics rotten tomatoes are just like bros is the greatest movie rolling stone added it to its uh greatest comedies of the 21st oh, century within days so fake. You, know, you know all the like seth myers jimmy kimmel all those people are like oh bros is great you got to see it yeah oh no, it's not great yeah terrible it's just fake yeah <clears throat> all fake propaganda saying that yeah and uh and so that's another you know small thing that gives me opportunity is despite what people are saying and despite what you know we say when we're responding to a pollster or we're in polite conversation our behavior suggests that we're not really down with the direction that we're being pushed. Right, 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 right. Very true. So last question, what advice do you have a, a young guy like us who is, you know, getting into the world of marketing and, and uh, advertising and copywriting, what advice would you have for that, for that young person? Don't be afraid 
to articulate your ideas. Don't be afraid to argue. Don't be afraid to like push for things that you know are going to work. And just don't feel the need to follow the herd. Uh, it's difficult to be the only person in a room expressing an idea or to, you know, really push forcefully for something that you know will work. But if you're actually looking to make it in the world, you're going to have to be willing to stand up for some things. And that includes in your career. And you're going to be canceled for something. You know, we've, I, you know, the way the cancel train moves, like, you know, maybe, you know, you, you, there are no videos of you using the N word, you know, in 1998 or something, but because it's constantly shifting to what is not allowed, everything's going to be not allowed. So just don't worry about it. Just, <laughs> just go move ahead. Have your battles early. And if you're willing to, uh, to suffer some slings and arrows, you'll emerge from it. Don't just, you know, this sounds like a fortune cookie, but just don't be afraid. Yeah. Right? And I get it. Like you want to feed your family. You want to feed yourself. You want to buy a car, whatever, but don't get caught up in, uh, in that stuff. Uh, you know, to inspiring. I totally agree. I, I have the same advice and, you know, everybody, everybody who's bound behind the, the fear of, you know, not making money. It's just not, it's not a rational fear. Um, yeah. anyway. All right. Thank you so much. That was really great. So where can people find you? So, uh, you can find me, uh, on the internet, uh, primarily, uh, the only really public facing thing I have is uh Twitter. So it's at our Cromwell four on Twitter. Uh, you can find us at uh coffee and Uh, you can find me at the federalist. I've been writing for spectator world some too. Uh, and yeah, so really insightful good. stuff on, I, I need to re I actually haven't seen your spectator stuff, but, uh, I really think that you have great cultural insight on, on federalist and it's always really surprising and interesting stuff. You, you really have some great, um, I think for people looking for what a great culture columnist like used to be for the New York times, it's, it's you. It's like where people just need to follow you and, and read your, cause it's always topical and funny, uh, but also very insightful. So thank you. And, and that would be advice I would give to, you know, what, my approach to writing is something you could apply to careers as well. Don't be afraid to start off with a position you completely disagree with and try to convince yourself because that will often help you hone your arguments or maybe even change your arguments a little bit. Uh, just a, sim a silly example, years ago when uh, AMC was looking at banning texting in movie theaters, I wrote a piece about why AMC should 100% allow texting. <laughs> That's a good idea. Um, okay, thank you so much, man. Really appreciate you coming on. Hey, thanks, Isaac. All right, bye.